Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our morning service. All right, thank you. Let's come before the Lord and let's pray together. Our Holy Father, we delight to come before you because you are the holy and all-wise God. You are our creator. You have made everything for yourself and for your glory. And so, Lord, our God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship together, to sing hymns of praise and to give glory to your name. We thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, the one who came that we might have access to you, that we might have confidence in this work of redemption accomplished on our behalf by his death and resurrection. We thank you, Lord God, that we can be sure of your, your word, the Bible. We can be confident, Lord God, that it will not lead us astray, that it's exactly what we need. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed are for us. Please give us understanding, give us longing in our hearts to know it better. And we pray, Lord God, by your amazing grace, you would help us to see you as you are. May we not trust in things of our own doing or ideas of our own minds, but may we trust in what you have said and done for sinners like us. Thank you that we can come and find grace to help in time of need. We want to pray particularly, Lord God, for Iris and Rael. We ask that you would draw near to them. We pray for Avis as well and ask, Lord God, that you would give comfort in these difficult days. We pray, Father, for uh, the details that need to be worked out give Iris and Real patience and grace as they uh, prepare these things and please give them safety when they are able to, uh, to travel home. We pray also for Andrew and Cheryl and Anita Joy. Uh, we pray for the family as a whole and ask Lord God that you would draw near. Give them the comfort and strength that only you can provide. And we pray Lord God that their hope would be in you. We thank you, Lord God, that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that they would know and love uh, all the more because of your great grace. Please, Lord God, we pray for wisdom for the doctors. We pray that what needs to be done both can be done and will be done. And we pray, Father, that you would help them to endure these trials. Uh, give them strength, Lord God, with the tiredness that inevitably comes under these circumstances and we pray, Lord God, for much patience, much encouragement, much looking to the Lord, and much praying. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And we know, Lord God, that there are others as well here that are struggling with uh, various matters. Sometimes it is health, sometimes it is the need for guidance, for wisdom, for what we ought to be doing. And Lord, our God, sometimes it is for the loved ones who don't know you for whom we pray so longingly. And we ask, Lord God, that you would hear our prayers. We come at your invitation, Lord God. You are the one who said to come and make our requests known to you. And so we do that, Lord, in obedience to the call and in full confidence that you will hear. And you will do what is right and good. And we pray that you would help us to trust you in your all-wise providence to lead us as you see fit. Lord, our God, we also want to remember the missionaries that the church supports. We pray for the work of the gospel wherever it goes forth, whether this church supports it or not. And we ask, Lord God, that Jesus Christ might be proclaimed, that even today he would be made known, and that there may be some, Lord God, who hear his name for the first time and are hungry to hear more. 
Please, Lord God, by your amazing grace, may it be so. And as we seek to continue to worship you, we ask, Lord God, that your hand of blessing might rest upon us. Give grace and strength for every trial. And we ask, Lord God, that you would direct our steps. May we trust you. May we not lean on our own understanding. May we acknowledge you in all our ways. Help us, Father, as we come before you, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. If you would uh, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to read uh, responsibly. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's page uh, 1062. Uh, I believe I checked that quickly before the service, so I think it's 1062. Uh, And we're going to read uh, two sections. Uh, First of all, verses 1 to 11, and then verses 27 to 32. Uh, Now this will challenge you. If we alternate verses, that means I'll read verse 11, and so then you read verse 27. 27, right? 1 to 11, 27 to 32... Okay, let's just read 1 to 11, and then I'll tell you where to start after that, all right? So 1 to 11, and then verses 27 to 32, uh, reading responsibly. I'll read the first verse, and uh, you the second, and we'll alternate down. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, meaning Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, But the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they did this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with them at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And then verse 27. And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. 
But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, it's good to be back with you uh, today. Uh, Just uh, uh, in case you were wondering and to save time after, I'm doing okay. Uh, The latest tests I've had have been uh, pretty good. Everything's holding uh, steady. Uh, My self-caused injuries falling out of trailers and so on have pretty well cleared up. Uh, And uh, and so I'm I'm doing okay, and uh, appreciate your uh, your ongoing uh, prayers. Let's uh, come before the Lord and ask his help as we look into his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every blessing we receive from your hand, and thank you for your word that directs us to Jesus Christ. We know that the answers that we sh- to the questions we should be asking are found in him alone. Please help us to learn what the right questions are, and help us to learn the answers that are there in Christ. So please direct our thoughts as we look at this text this morning. Father, feed us with your word as you have promised. May your spirit take the things of Christ and make them known. We thank you for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. A few years ago, our neighbor, when we lived on Poplar Street, had hired some roofers. And because our carport was actually very close to their house, they asked if it was okay if they leaned the ladder up against our carport and climbed onto that and then onto the uh, the roof. That was really about the only way they could go. So we said that was fine. And uh, I came over here to uh, to go to work. And then when I went home for lunch, I discovered a man sitting on the edge of our carport roof, terrified. Uh, it was the first time I had met a roofer afraid of heights. And you, you might ask the question, what good is a roofer who will only work on the ground? Uh, you phone him up after looking up his number in the yellow pages and ask if he can do this job, and he says, yes, if I can work from terra firma, uh, as long as I don't have to go up. Well, obviously, there's something not particularly useful about that. When Jesus came... The issue frequently came up, why are you here? He was always being asked the reason for his, his work, uh, his authority for that, that work. Uh, why had he come? And, and, and he had come in the sense of coming from somewhere else, of course. Uh, he was God incarnate. Uh, he came from above, as he puts it uh, in, uh, in uh, John 3. Uh, He was qualified as that authoritative teacher. In fact, he was sent by the Father. But understanding why he should come is so important. Remember that John the Baptist even asked that question on one occasion. Are you the one who should come, or should we look for another? Why was he here? And, of course, it's an important question for us, because it's not just a 2,000-year-old question. It's the question, why should I care that he was here? Why should I be interested in the coming of the Lord Jesus? In order to help us answer the question, the New Testament starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, 
And what these books are doing is making claims concerning the Lord Jesus and then backing up these claims with evidence, uh, scripture proof evidence from what he has done so that we can know why he came. And just to make sure we don't miss the point, every once in a while, Jesus gives us a mission statement. You might be familiar with John 10 verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's a mission statement. This is why I came. If you read the first letter of John, you'll find that he frequently speaks about why Jesus came or why he was sent. What did he come to do? So this is an important theme we have in the scriptures. I want to look at two such statements in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this morning. They're both similar because they both come out of a similar context. Both of them are dealing with publicans or tax collectors and, and of course, don't think about you know tax collecting in, in our sense. Think in terms of being a traitor to the nation. Uh, these tax collectors supported the empire of Rome and Rome was their overlord. Rome had conquered their country and, and they were extremely dissatisfied about that. They wanted to overthrow the Roman overlords and here these tax collector types were actually helping the Romans stay on. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why they were so, uh, so despised by most of, uh, of the people. Jesus deals with two such men, one known here in what we read as Levi, better known to us perhaps as Matthew, the author of that first gospel, and the second one is Zacchaeus that we meet later in the gospel. So you have one near the beginning of Jesus' ministry here in Luke 5, and then one when Jesus is on his way to be crucified in Luke 19. So uh, over the, the, the course of our, our time this morning, we'll, we'll think a little bit about uh, both of those, uh, those characters. But for our purposes, the main thing that I want you to notice is that both of those instances resulted in a mission statement. Jesus explaining why he had come. So what I want to do first of all is to lead up to verse 27 of Luke 5 by looking at the preceding pictures. Now, in sometimes in the Gospels, uh, I mean, obviously there's different ways that they tackle their project, but in this section of Luke's Gospel, he's giving you a number of snapshots. If you're familiar with the word vignette, uh, little pictures, little descriptions of Jesus, and they're not particularly connected chronologically, uh, you'll notice that there's four of these instances. Now, if your Bible, like this uh, edition I have, has little titles, it's really easy to see the four divisions. Uh, but you have the call of the first disciples in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5, the leper cleansed in verses 12 through 16, a man with palsy healed, uh, verses 17 to 26, and then the call of Levi in verses 27 to 32 that we read. And you notice that most of these are introduced very generally. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, it came to pass as the people pressed upon him. Now at the end of the previous chapter, he was preaching in synagogues. Now he's standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. How he got from point A to point B is not Luke's concern. Uh, all he's telling you is that this is the scene. Uh, this is what was happening. And then when you glance down at verse 12, it came to pass when he was in a certain city. 
Uh, I mean, Luke doesn't care about the details even enough to tell you where he was. Uh, he was in another place. That, that's how we would say it. Uh, and, and then in verse 17, it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. So you see what he's doing here? It's not so much that he's giving you a biography of Jesus or a travel log of his ministry. He wants to give you four snapshots. He wants you to see Jesus in, on these four occasions. But that doesn't mean that they're not tied together. And I think there's a very important theme in these four pictures we have that shows us why Luke chose these particular instances to make his point. So I want to summarize the first three before we get to Levi. So verses 1 through 26. I want to define it just generally under this heading that Jesus came to implement salvation. He came to bring about salvation. In the case of, of the calling of Peter that we read uh, in verses 1 to 11, and then in the, the second case, the leper who was cleansed in verses 12 through 16, we might summarize that as Jesus' ability to forgive. If we are going to be saved, we need to be forgiven because it's the wrath of God for our sin from which we need to be saved. So Jesus came to deal with the problem that had brought us into condemnation from which we needed to be rescued. And, and so the question is, can Jesus do this? And so there's this thread of forgiveness that runs throughout these accounts. Uh, Peter, uh, as we read, is a fisherman. He's there with his brother Andrew and his partner James and John. And they're out fishing the Sea of Galilee. They had worked all night. Uh, now Jesus comes along, the crowds want to hear him, and, uh, and if you're standing in front of a crowd, and you know they always want to get a little closer to hear better, and Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, there's a practical issue here. Uh, they're going to push him into the water. So Jesus gets Peter to bring his boat to the right place, and he gets into the boat and teaches from there. When he's done teaching, he tells Peter, Let's go fishing. Push the boat out. Put down your nets. Now, Peter, the experienced fisherman, kind of says, oh, great, here we go. Another city slicker telling me how to do the job. No, no, he doesn't say that. What he says is, I don't see the point. I think we're wasting our time. But because you said it, I'll do it. And so Luke underlines something about Jesus, his majesty, his, his presence. And so Peter says, because you were the one who said it, I'll do it. He pushes the boat out, uh, they let down their nets, and all of a sudden they're so overwhelmed with fish that it fills the two boats and they're still not sure if they're going to make it back to shore or not. So Jesus demonstrates his power. Now, on a slightly similar note, do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? They ate, you know, five loaves, two fish, and all of a sudden a whole crowd is fed. They want Jesus to stay because they saw the practical benefit of this. If you can have someone who can take a snack and turn it into a meal, this is someone we want around. However, Peter does not respond like that. He sees the power of Jesus. And like a roofer sitting on a carport roof is terrified. And what he says is, depart from me, get away from me. Why? Because I am a sinful man. I cannot stand 
in the presence of the powerful, majestic God. That's the first picture. The second picture is of a leper. Under the Old Testament law, a leper was a picture of the consequences of sin. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this man sinned and that's why he was struck with leprosy. What I'm saying is that it's a picture of the fact that sin has consequences. That's a key lesson of the Bible, of course, that you don't get away with things, even if your parents don't know about it or, or, or something like that. You don't get away with things. God sees, God knows. And, and leprosy was like a, a, a witness that all of us are unclean. The leper could not come into the presence of God. He couldn't go to the synagogues. He couldn't be near where the people of God were gathering. He was shut out. It was a constant reminder that when we are unclean, we are separated from God. It's Adam and Eve being driven out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's, It's that kind of thing. We can't stand in the presence of God. Shut out of worship. Shut out of the fellowship. This man is interesting because he has no doubt about Jesus' power. Now, remember, Peter had considerable doubts whether there was any point going fishing. So you could say Peter was unclear about Jesus' power. The leper does not have that problem. I know you can make me clean. He had heard enough reports of miracles, maybe from a distance. He had seen some of them. He knew Jesus could help him. His question was would he? Was he willing to help him? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And one of the most beautiful, brief statements, I will be clean. And he is healed. That's the the second picture. Jesus will forgive. That's why he came. He can He's powerful. He can do that. The third picture uh, that starts in chapter 5 and verse 17 is of the paralyzed man. Uh, The paralyzed man whose friends brought him to Jesus to see if Jesus would heal him and were horribly disappointed to get there and realize that the house where Jesus was was so full, spilling out into the streets that there's no way you could carry a cot, a stretcher, uh, over to Jesus. Being resourceful, however, and having the kind of houses that could do this easily, they went up on the roof, ripped up the tiles of the roof, and let him down in front of Jesus. Jesus sees the man's faith. Everyone in the room knows that his greatest need is to walk again. That's pretty obvious. If that's how you enter the room, your need is staring everybody in the face. Everybody but Jesus, of course. Jesus who sees the heart. He looks at the man and he sees his greatest need is to be right with God. And so he says to him, sons, your sins are forgiven. Do you see what I mean by the thread of these accounts? It's not so much the chronology, it's the theme. Peter says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. The leper is the very picture of being sinful, of being separated from God, of being unclean. And now this leper come, or this this paralyzed man is let down in front of Jesus, and the issue is his sins need to be forgiven. He needs to be right with God. 
Jesus pronounces him forgiven, and immediately the crowds erupt like social media with cries of, who do you think you are? We think that's a recent phenomenon, right? But, but here's the crowd. Everybody's got an opinion that they think the world is waiting to hear. And, and, and so they shout out to Jesus, who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to do this? By what authority can you forgive sin? After all, sin is against God. Only the person who's sinned against can forgive the one who sinned against him. What is Jesus doing here? And so Jesus heals the paralyzed man in order to demonstrate his claim to forgive. So now we come to Levi. You you see what he's doing here? First of all, Peter is, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Uh, You you can't help me, I'm in despair. Uh, There's nothing you can do. The leper says, if you're willing you can make me clean. Now the paralyzed man who comes hoping to walk again is probably a little bit stunned that instead his sins are are forgiven. Each account has something to do with Jesus' goal to implement salvation, that their sins would be forgiven. And so now we have the real test case. Luke gives us three pictures that show us what Jesus is about how he deals with these sinners. But now we've got a real sinner. Now we've got a publican. Whenever the Gospels want to give us a test case, it's either a Samaritan, a a, a prostitute, later on and into the book of Acts, a Gentile, or a publican. You want the worst examples? Like you want to show your detergent can get out the worst stains, you know, it's grass stains or something like that. You want the worst examples, here it is. So Jesus is walking along. They taught that way uh, most of the time in those days. So he's walking along and and teaching. And in the course of walking along, he passes by the the booth where Levi conducts his, uh, his work here. And he stops and says to Levi, follow me. Now, in the eyes of the people, these were sinners who had no hope of ever sharing in the blessing. Many of us, you know, we've done some things. We know nobody's perfect, and you know how we talk. And, and of course, there's forgiveness for those. But there's always that class of people in the back of our minds for whom there is never any help, who could never hope to be forgiven. And that's what the publican is in, in that time. And so Jesus says to him, follow me. Become a disciple, learn my teachings, learn my ways, join the team, spread my kingdom. And Matthew is stunned, I suspect. We're told he gets up and he follows him. And he's so thrilled by this, he wants to throw a banquet to honor the Lord Jesus. And so he invites all his friends. But if you're a social pariah, who are your friends? Well, of course, all the other outcasts. And so he calls this banquet that is filled with with sinners, and Jesus accepts the invitation. And the crowds are all standing with their chins hanging down, saying, you want to be accepted as a holy man? You want us to think of you as a rabbi, somebody who has a word to us from God, and you're going to eat with that crowd? It's never going to happen. That's not how you should be doing your work. So here's the test. Luke has given us three pictures so that we'll understand the fourth picture. And just to make sure we get it, he inserts a principle. 
a mission statement. If you understood this, you would not have a problem with what you're seeing. What's the mission statement? Well, verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus came to issue a summons. We'll come to the second incident uh, a little bit later, but um, let me just read it for you. you. You may be familiar with Zacchaeus anyway. He's the one who wanted to see Jesus. Uh, the crowds wouldn't let him get anywhere near, so he climbed the tree so he could see him. Jesus stops under the tree. Make haste, come down. I must abide at thy house. This time it's Jesus who invites himself to Zacharias' house. Uh, and he goes and, and Zacharias distributes his goods to the poor and, uh, and, and repents of his sin. Jesus in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 19, this day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. And here's the other mission statement. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So I want you to keep that in your, the back of your mind, but we're going to come back to verse 32 of chapter 5 and see that Jesus came to issue a summons. He came to call sinners. Now right away we've got a problem. Just whom, pray tell, are these sinners? What does he mean by that? And we already see that the idea in Jesus' day is that, that, that people make mistakes and you can deal with that. There's the atonement, the sacrificial rituals. But then there are the sinners. And we do that too. You know, uh, yeah, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, and then fill in the blank. Well, who does he mean by sinners? The New Testament takes pains to describe this for us. For example, in 1 John 3, sin is defined as transgression of the law, disobeying God, rebelling against God. He puts up the fences, we break them down and walk through. Sin is transgression of the law. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about something about our relationship with God where we are not paying attention to what he says and what he wants. We're doing our own thing. Uh, so sin is transgression of the law. You have Romans 3.23, which describes it as a universal condition. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So dividing you know, our, our categories up and saying you know, these people are sinners, but these are sinners, doesn't fly. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not only is it a universal condition, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This is not a trivial manner, it's killing us. The wages of sin is death. When we rebel against God, there is judgment, just judgment. We are separated from God. We are like a leper who can't draw near. We are worthy of his full wrath. That wrath is being poured out uh, from, from heaven. And, and there's a day of the revelation of the righteous wrath and judgment of God waiting for us. You know, it's interesting. Matthew, of course, is Levi, Matthew. Uh, at the beginning of his gospel, he gave a, a mission statement of, for Jesus right at the start. In Bethlehem, uh, Joseph has the appearance from the angel. And you remember what the angel said to Joseph? You will call his name Jesus, which means Savior. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
right at the start of his gospel. Now think Matthew, the Levi, right? the, the tax collector here, the publican. He knew what it was to be forgiven. This Jesus came to issue a summons and he called him. And he forgave him. And so as he begins his gospel, of all of the things he could talk about, he said, I've got to mention that. His name is Jesus. He saves his people from their sins. That's why he's here. That's what he came to do. Now, without the background and help of the Bible, we might think of sin as either an archaic concept that nobody believes anymore or as some kind of a, a, a joke that we can all kid each other about. But like an unclean leper, sin pollutes us so we cannot draw near to God. Jesus said, it's the sick who need the doctor. We're fatally ill here. And in Luke 19, verse 10, we are hopelessly lost. We need a doctor who is able to heal us or we die. We need a search party that will not stop looking until it finds us or we are hopelessly lost and forever. What's the summons? The sinners are summoned. I came to call sinners to what? To repent. Now, you probably all have known people who you think are maybe suffering from something, and so you urge them to go to the doctor. And in their gruffest voice, they tell you, I'm quite well, I'm not going to go see any doctor. Those who are well don't need a doctor, and they won't go anyway. Remember in John 8, Jesus is talking to the crowds again, and he's, they, some of them believe in him, and he says, you know, well, if you hear my words, you believe what I'm saying, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And everybody suddenly gets up in arms against Jesus. What do you mean, make us free? We're children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus goes on to explain what he means. The one who sins is a slave of sin. You are in bondage. I don't mean to the Romans. I mean to sin. That, that's the problem here. But they thought they were free, and so they argued with Jesus. The Apostle Paul gives his testimony in, in Philippians 3, and he says there was a time he thought he was righteous. Uh, the righteousness that could be gained by the law, he was doing it. His heritage was perfect. Uh, his achievements were, were spectacular. Everybody thought that he was a righteous man. Until by grace he learned that the righteousness he had thought he had earned by the law was useless. It amounted to nothing. He needed a righteousness that was not from himself, but was from God. The righteousness of God by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can misread this when Jesus criticizes the scribes and the Pharisees. They that are whole need not a physician. Those who are sick I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Sometimes we mistakenly read that and think that Jesus is saying Matthew was better than the Pharisees. But you see, that's precisely what he's not saying. Matthew is a sinner. I came to call sinners. The reason I stopped at this booth and called Matthew was not because I thought he was better than the Pharisees. It's because I know that he's not. He's under judgment. He needs to repent, and therefore I called him. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The difference is that when Jesus told that crowd in John 8, you'll be free if you listen to me, they wouldn't listen. They didn't need a doctor. 
They didn't need a teacher. They knew the answers. They were set. But Matthew, I don't, I'm sure it was more graceful than this, but I picture him kind of jumping over the front of the booth and, you know, clumsy like me, perhaps tripping over the edge and and picking yourself up and, and running after Jesus. He was thrilled to follow him. That's the difference. Are you willing to make me clean? I will be clean. And off he goes to follow Jesus. Repent of your sin and you discover that Jesus does not send sinners away. It's his mission statement. He authoritatively pronounces them not guilty because of the blood he shed on the cross. Years later, the Apostle Paul will preach in Athens in Acts 17. And he will say exactly the same thing. God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the call. That's the summons. It includes all of us. Flip over now to Matthew 19 and we'll look a little closer at the second instance here. And we can say that Jesus came to institute a search. He came to institute a search. To issue a summons, to implement salvation, but to institute a search. The statement here in verse 10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So how can we describe ourselves outside of Christ in our natural state, as we are by birth? Well, we've got two descriptions here so far. Sick, in the sense of dying, not just uh, a little under the weather. Sick in the sense of dying. We can also be described as being lost. And as I suggested, the thing that ties the two illustrations together is the sense of hopelessness. Unless somebody else, somebody besides me comes to my aid, it's over for me. There's nothing I can do about it. I need the search party to come and to stay with the search until they find me. In other words, there are different ways you can think of the coming of the Lord Jesus. You can think of the incarnation of his birth into this world as a doctor arriving who can actually heal us. You can think of it as sending out the search party. I came to call sinners to repent. I came to call the lost. I came to seek them out so that they might be found. Do you remember the great Isaiah 53? All we like sheep have gone astray. What does it mean to be lost? It means that I'm no longer following the shepherd. It means I'm not interested in what Jesus is saying. I'm not interested in the ways of the Lord. Don't talk to me about the Bible. Leave that apart. But Isaiah 53 says, The Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. There's another mission statement. Now, I gave you the reference in Mark 10.45 because that's the one I usually use. And then later when I was looking at this, I said... The whole point here is Matthew. I I should have used it because the same verse is in Matthew. So if you want the Matthew account, it's Matthew 20, verse 28. But it says the same thing. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew starts his gospel saying, call him Jesus. 
He'll save his people from his sins. Then, getting close to the cross, I came to give my life a ransom for many. I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. All of these statements to get us to understand why Jesus matters. Why is it such a a thing to celebrate that God sent His Son into the world? For these reasons. (laughs) Because we're standing in need of the doctor. We need the search party. We're dying. We need life. We're condemned. We need a Savior. The Gospels are written so that we will look at the Lord Jesus Christ and said, there's the one who came to do exactly what I need done. What amazing grace that Jesus gives this mission statement to those who despised and rejected him. They're telling the search party to leave them alone even as their life ebbs away. And they are nonetheless being sought out by the very God they offended. That, my friends, is the definition of amazing grace. Jesus came to seek the lost. But I'm pretty thrilled about the last part of that too. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Every once in a while, we watch a show on the life of game wardens. I know, get a life, I I get it. But nonetheless, we we have watched this. And every once in a while, they're called to go out on a search party for a hiker or a boater who hasn't come back in the proper time. And sometimes the search ends in heartbreak because the victim succumbed before they could be found. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was a stunning day when Zacchaeus came down out of the tree because Jesus was coming to his house. Such is the power of Jesus' finished work. This is why I wanted to outline the context of Luke 5. This is the one who rules all nature with this miraculous catch of fish, who cleanses a leper, who proves his ability and authority to forgive by healing a paralyzed man. And he is the Lord of glory who sought out a couple of despised sinners that nobody else would have given the time of date. He came to seek and to save the lost. In other words, he did it. They were saved. This day, salvation has come to this house. This day, Zacchaeus repents of his sin and this day he is saved. Matthew jumps over the desk and follows Jesus and and salvation has come to his house. The lost has been found. The sick have been made well. The very righteous Saul of Tarsus found the same thing. Full of self-confidence and boasting, he had nothing before God until he believed in Jesus. And later would write, He loved me and gave himself for me. You see, our condition is bleak. Foolishly, we don't see it. Foolishly, we've convinced ourselves that deep down we're okay. Not perfect, we get that. But neither are you, by the way, as we say to the one who's trying to tell us the gospel. 
We're not perfect, but we're not a publican either. But when we're confronted with the majesty of Jesus, we really understand who He is. We'll understand why Peter fell on his face and said, leave me alone. You don't know how sinful I am. And Jesus effectively says, oh yes, I do. But I came to save sinners. I came to call sinners to repent. I came to seek and to save what was lost. And guess what, Peter? I found you. Come, follow me. Don't be afraid. Come, follow me. By amazing grace, Jesus summoned sinners to repent, came to seek and to save the lost, and he did not fail. This is a summons not to be ignored. And if we hear and respond, it's a salvation that will not fail. Jesus gave us mission statements so that we won't turn them into something else. That we won't go on to this nonsense that he was just a good teacher and and so on. No, he came from glory to save sinners. He came to find the lost one. And he did it. Let's pray. Help us to realize what is found in Christ alone. Help us, Lord God, not to be afraid but to come when he calls. Help us to listen to his word. And help us, Lord God, to start our eternal praise now that you saved us if we admitted we were sinners and turned to you. Lord, in Hebrews we read that we must not neglect so great a salvation Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we will flee to the one who saves completely those who come to God by him. Thank you, Lord. You saw our need and you came. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.